You are Locked On Raiders, your daily Oakland Raiders podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Just win. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea. With a rollicking song, he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather beaten. He wears a hooded sash with a silver hat about his head and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. Trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. What's up, Raider Nation? Welcome into another episode of the Locked On Raiders podcast on this Friday, April 12, 2019. Your boy Q here. You can check me out on Twitter at all times at your boy Q254. Definitely appreciate any feedback and all feedback. And you can always call on that Locked On Raider podcast voicemail line 707-654-4693. You want to respond to anything that you've heard, want to respond to anything you've seen, or just have a question or, you know, a statement. It is all good. Definitely hit me up at all times. It will get on the podcast at some point. Coming up on today's show. I got a real fun show for you. I talked about it on Thursday a lot that I have Tommy Call 3 from 95.7 The Game. He's a writer and contributor and a host of a podcast talking all things NFL draft. I got that coming up for you today. But coming up in segment number three, Mike Mayock, GM of the Raiders. He held a press conference with the media on Thursday talking all things NFL draft. So I definitely got to put that on the podcast today, courtesy of Raiders.com. I was going to have phone calls there in the third segment, but since Mike Mayock had the press conference, I'm telling you, it would be a criminal offense. It'd be all bad if I did not put this on the podcast. So I'm going to drop that in segment number three for you. You might have already seen it either on Twitter. You might have seen it on NFL Network. Network. You might have gone to Raiders.com yourself and checked it out. I don't know how you might have already seen it, but you probably have already seen it. You might have already seen it. It's about 20-something minutes. I'm not going to do the whole 20-something minutes. I'm just going to do the stuff that I thought was important. That's coming up in segment number three. Coming up in segment number one and two is my conversation with Tommy Call 3 from 95.7 The Game. Very, very excited about this conversation. We talk all things NFL Draft, how certain players could fit in with the team, what John Gruden and Mike Mayock might be looking for. We talk a lot of different angles of the NFL Draft, but it is all NFL Draft. So you'll get that in segment number two and segment number one. So let's just kick things off. Let's get things going on this Friday, uh, going to the weekend the right way. Here we go. Tommy Call and myself. Tommy Call 3. You can follow him on Twitter at TommyCall underscore... I, I, I. Here's part one of my conversation with him. Joining me now on the phone lines to talk all things NFL draft is my man Tommy Call 3, writer and contributor at 95.7 The Game, also host of the Upside Pod. You can find Tommy on Twitter at Tommy underscore I, I, I. And thank you so much for uh, for joining me. And I know you've been grinding, working really hard this NFL offseason from the Senior Bowl, Combine, Pro Days, stuff like that. Man, what's been the most fascinating storyline for you this draft season? Man, that's a that's a good question because one, it's got to be Kyler Murray. And I, one thing that really just stands out to me, and if you remember, Q, I mean, when the NFL season ended, it kind of looked at this draft class like, yeah, there's a lot of really good like defensive talent and defensive linemen. And the quarterbacks are okay. Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, maybe this kid Daniel Jones. And Kyler Murray's going to play baseball or maybe somebody's going to take him late or something like that. And as things have started to ramp up and with – you know, the things going on with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, I mean, it's really turned this draft upside down. And now it's 
fascinating to me. And I think we've almost kind of sold out that Kyler's going number one when we're moving on past that. When really, if we think about it, we put the perspective on it. I mean, this is an insane situation. A couple months ago, we're talking about this guy playing baseball, saying he's people out there saying he's five, six, 150 pounds. And now this guy almost looks like a lock for the first overall pick. I mean, it's going to be a historic moment, I feel like, when his name gets gets called out there on draft day, man. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, I mean, can you think about the just the, the story that he's going to have to tell one day? I mean, this guy gets drafted top 10 in baseball and then has the opportunity to go number one overall in football. And even if he doesn't go number one, I don't see him getting out of the top 10. That's never even been done in the history of professional sports. I mean, think about that. It's amazing, and, and it, what it makes me think of is like every, every kid's dream, right? I mean, yep. we all grow up playing as many sports as we possibly can if we're lucky enough to, and now to actually see somebody do it. I mean, I heard of stories like, you know, Deion Sanders when I was a kid and everything, but to see a guy like Kyler Murray, like you said, get drafted this high in both, both sports, I mean, I think everybody wants to do a, you know, be a professional athlete, and this guy ha- has the option to do it twice and be the best of the best at it. I mean, it's really amazing, and I, I, I've, I've been infatuated with Kyler. I think one of the first times we talked way back when, I, I mentioned you know how entertaining the dude is, and I'm really rooting for him, man. I, I, I can't wait to see what thing. I hope Arizona, you know, doesn't mess this up. I, I, I'm fascinated with the guy, and I can't believe we're we're finally here and we're going to see this dude get picked number one overall. Yeah, I can't either, man. It really blows my mind to know that he had to, he turned down money in baseball to come back and, and have an opportunity to get this football money, and looks like he's gonna it's gonna pay off in a major way. So let me ask you this: It sounds like you're sold on Kyler Murray going number one to Arizona. I know that you you know cover the 49ers really closely uh, at 95.7 The Game, and you also cover the Raiders, but. Are they sold on Nick Bosa at number two, or is the acquisition of D Ford kind of made that not a priority anymore? No, I think they're I think they're very high on uh, on, on Nick Bosa. Everything I've heard and kind of the cool part about being out at these events is talking to people who've been doing this longer than I have and right. and making meeting people and, and agents and all that stuff. And what I've heard from back in the Senior Bowl is that hey, the Forty ers are love Bosa would do anything they can to get him. I mean, they're going to run to the thing and I. Personally, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a Quentin Williams guy. I think he's okay. number one overall player in the draft, and and uh, I was kind of banging the table like, hey, you know, the 49ers need to at least take a look at this guy. But the more I've dug, it just seems like Nick Bosa. It's almost a no brainer for them at this point, and you, we can almost lock those first two picks in the draft up. I love the fact you said you're a Quentin Williams guy because I've been banging the table to say if, if he falls to number four for the Raiders, they have to run up there and grab him. And I know everyone says, well, you got Mohurst, you got P.J. Hall, you just re-signed Jonathan Hankins. I don't care. This dude's on a whole nother level, and I'm like you. I think he's the best player in the draft. Defensively, at least, he's the best player in the draft, period. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And, and uh, you know, to all the people out there who kind of want to say, oh, there's too many defensive tackles and things like that. I mean, look at, the, look at the Philadelphia Eagles, what they did and how they won that Super Bowl. I mean, rotating guys in and out from the interior to the, out, to the exterior of that, that, you know, that front seven and having power up the middle. And, you know, it shows. And, and I, I just personally think that defensive tackles, we're going to talk a couple years down the road, and they're going to be valued like edge rushers are to this day. I mean, everybody wants to spend the big money on the edge guys and stuff, but the ball gets out of the quarterback's hands so fast these days that it's hard to get around the edge. I mean, even the best of the best edge rushers, I mean, it takes time to get to the quarterback, but you can cause problems up the middle. And, that, and Quentin Williams is the perfect example of that. And I just think that this guy is amazing. I mean, I can go all day talking about him, but some of the things we saw him do at Alabama, I mean, the guy's really smart along with the athleticism and the talent. You saw him do things that guys his size just shouldn't be able to do or – Guys with his experience, I mean, recognizing blocks. I mean, I saw him do double swim moves, which is 
coaching, you know, from the bottom up, they're going to tell you not to do that stuff. But Clinton Williams is so physically dominant and smarter than guards and everything. And I, I don't know, man. I just think that you add to, you add talent at that position. It's it provide good things for your football team. I agree. I agree 100%. And you combine him and Mohurst right there in the middle. And I know that, hey, edge rusher is something that's very sensitive when it comes to the Raiders and, and Raider fan base. They they want to see their next Khalil Mack because obviously he's not there anymore. There's not a Khalil Mack in this draft, but if you want to address the edge and you're the Raiders and you take Quentin Williams at number four, how do you think or when do you think that they could address that edge rusher? I think, I think I mean, they could do it, you know, with one of their later picks in that first round. I mean, I think a guy that a lot of people are sleeping on. I think there's a lot of talent at the top with some of the edge rushers, you know, like we talked about with Bosa, Brian Burns, the guy I'm very high on, Josh Allen, who I know a lot of Raider fans love. But after that, it gets a little murky with maybe a guy like Montez Sweat. And after that, you know, Jalen Ferguson and other guys are being mixed in. But a guy that I think if Quinnen Williams falls to four, and that's the pick for the Raiders, which they should not pass on, <laughs> in, that, in that 20 area, if they want to double dip on the defensive line, Draft a guy like Chase Winovich out of Michigan. I think this guy has been slept on from the start. I mean, you turn on, you want to watch Rashawn Gary, who's another really highly touted prospect. Chase Winovich stands out. I mean, and he proved the athleticism at the Combine. By far, to me, one of the biggest risers in the pre-draft process. And I think that this guy is going to go in the first round. And, I mean, he fits what the Raiders want to do as just a pure edge rusher out there. And, I mean, this is a guy that people need to start getting familiar with really quickly. Why do you think Winovich has been so slept on? Because you're right. I haven't heard too many people talking about him, but I do know that he is a guy that can get it done. And, and you know, everyone's talking about Gary from, uh, from Michigan. Everyone's talking about Bush from Michigan. But not too many people are talking about Winovich. I don't know. It's, it's been a little bit of a weird thing, and I, I think he, he was kind of labeled as that try-hard guy. You see him with the long hair out there. He doesn't look very you know, he doesn't, Montez Sweat and these guys, they look like freaks out there. Right. Chase Winovich, I mean, he doesn't have the overpowering size. He never really blitzed guys with ultra athleticism, but he showed at the combine that he has all those things. And, you know, when I'm watching an edge rusher, what, what makes these guys elite, right? What's, what separates the good guys that should be drafted in the first round to the guys that should go in the top 15, top 10, whatever you want. Chase Winovich has a lot of those things that I look for, whether that's hand usage, recognition. And to be honest with you, the guys just are complete grinder i mean you see him making tackles 20 30 yards down the field with guys who are, should be way faster than but the guy just does not quit and to me he kind of reminds me of that like raider gritty attitude that they've seemed to seek out over the years that you know the raider mystique right i think chase winovich fits that bill and I, I, I mean, I, I've been kind of banging the table. I think this is a top 15 player in this class, almost at least at this point. Talking right now to Tommy Call, three writer and contributor at 95.7 The Game, also host of the Upside Pod. And uh, Tommy, let me ask you about Cleland Farrell. He's a guy who, well, only has a national championship to his name, but also seems like a guy that, that should be a top 10 player, but seems like he's fallen down different draft boards. Do you know why? And, and how late do you think that he'll actually go? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been a, a confusing player because at times it really shows up. And, and we look to, you know, the national championship game where he beat Jonah Williams, mm-hmm. who's a guy that I think is the best tackle in, in the league and, and in, the, in the class. And I was really watching that matchup specifically because I didn't know if, you know, Clinton Farrell's playing next to Christian Wilkins and Demarcus Lawrence, who are going to be high picks themselves. And in that Clemson defense with a ton of guys, and I'm kind of wondering if it's, is his production a product of the environment he's in, what it is. I don't know. I, I, it's a really tough question, but I think that Cleveland Farrell, we've gotten to this. When we think of edge rushers, we think of speed, athleticism, all these different things where Cleveland Farrell's your, 
you know, you're almost like your classic edge rusher where he's going to run you over. He's going to, he's going to kind of physically dominate. This is a strong caliber dude. And everything that I've heard about Cleveland Farrell as a person is kind of a, this guy's a class A human being on top of that. So he hits all the character check marks. And I think this is going to be a guy that if he does fall, and I think he, he's kind of been a hot name linked to the Raiders with that second or third first round draft pick and if they if he can fall that far and they grab him I think you have a guy that produces day one yeah see and that's how I, I was thinking you know and I know it's probably wishful thinking thinking that he's going to fall to number 24 but I thought hey Quentin Williams at four and then you double up and get Cleveland Farrell at number 24 and now you're on to some you know what I mean you're cooking with grease at that point yeah no I, I I agree with you and a lot of people that I've talked to see I was about if you talked to me a month ago, I would say, "Hey, watch out!" I think the forty, uh, the Raiders, excuse me, would go offensively in this draft class, where they maybe nab Kyler Murray at four and then take some guys later, like a running back like Josh Jacobs or mm-hmm. a guy like that. But now I'm kind of all I've heard is no, they're going to stack the cards on defense and take these best players available, and some guys are just going to fall with the quarterback market or the receiver market that's kind of in flux. All these different things, all the unknown, where the Raiders are going to be in prime position to grab one of those guys that fall with one of those second or third first round draft picks. And I think, man, the, the Raiders just dominant. They, they own this draft. Whatever they do is kind of, kind of hinge a lot of other teams and they have power to trade up. If a guy even slips, you know, so I think it's a, it's going to be really interesting, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what the Raiders do in the draft. No, I am too. I mean, I think it's uh, obviously the most important draft in Raiders history. I mean, I don't know one going through them all that is more important than this one. I feel like if they get it right, boom, they're, they're back in the mix. They're back in the conversation. If they get it wrong, man, I mean, how many, how many years does this set them back if they blow this draft? A lot. Uh, I mean, a lot, and we won't know for a little while is a thing, because, you know, if we look back to last draft class, I think we, we would kind of write them off pretty quickly after day one, but it looks like they've found maybe some players, like you said, a Mo Hurst, or mm-hmm. even a P.J. Hall has been a surprise. And we're we're, we're going to see what uh, Colton Miller turns into, and hopefully Brandon Parker can figure it out, but, you know, we're going to take some time to see, but I think the one thing that the Raiders are, that's favoring the Raiders in this draft class is it's deep, is it's really deep, and that was something that was kind of unknown after the NFL season ended. It seemed like a lot of top-end talent, but the more people have dug, and I don't think it's a product of the hype of the draft. I think that this class is truly deep at multiple positions, and I think that the Raiders kind of, they really have to mess things up to mess it up, if that makes sense. They would have to make some mistakes for them to mess up because there's going to be talent there. No, I agree, and I, I do think that you're right. You know, they would have to really mess it up to mess it up. Like They'd basically have to go up there and just throw something up against the wall and hope it sticks. What, mm-hmm. do, you, what do you think of the addition of Mike Mayock to that GM position and how that translates to the upcoming draft? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think the Mike Mayock thing is awesome. Obviously, for a guy like me who's you know loves this draft stuff, writing about it, right. being in the media and, and whatnot, so I think it's awesome. I'm rooting for him. But what I've heard in talking to people about Mike Mayock specifically is, you know, he's provided stability in the, in that room where where people who know who's at the top know who's making decisions. Where things with Reggie McKenzie and John Gruden might have been a little messy at times, or there was a power struggle. Well, that's not there, and this team, this front office, everything that has came out from this offseason has been stable. And I think that that's such a simple word and easy way to put things, but that's what this Raiders teams need. You know, they have talent out there. That's one thing that we know on this roster, there is talent. It's before the offseason even happened, there was talent here. Why wasn't it being used correctly? What, what was going on? Those were all questions, but I think now that those are starting to be answered, and I think that Mike Mayock and John Gruden are going to have a plan together. You know, they're going to have one big board. They're going to be able to work together on things. And I think also it takes a little bit of pressure. Having a guy with the name value of a Mike Mayock may take a little pressure off John Gruden, right? Where everything is John Gruden's way or so. 
Now people know the name Mike Mayock before he was even hired. It also gives a little bit of, you know, even keel energy to kind of that front office, which is might have been a piece that they've been missing. Talking all things NFL draft right now with my man Tommy Call 3. You can find him on Twitter at Tommy underscore I-I-I. And I asked you about a lot of defensive guys. We talked Kyler Murray, but let's flip back to the offensive side of the ball and the quarterback position. Dwayne Haskins. There's a lot of people talking about the Raiders have a lot of interest. I think it's a lot of smokescreen. But what do you think of him, first of all, just as a quarterback? And there's been reports that he might fall to like the fourth quarterback taken off the board. What do you think of Dwayne Haskins in, in general? I've never been a massive, uh, massive Haskins guy, to be honest with you. Okay. I think my first mock draft I wrote, I uh, had him in, going to San Diego at 28 or something in the draft. And I got some flack back from that from you know, the people out there all up in the comments. But I'm not moving him from there even to my newest mock draft that you know, I'm writing this week kind of thing. And that, that's just, I think that's the state of who Haskins is as a player. I think he's a really smart guy. and He's going to impress people on the whiteboard and has the character that you look for in a starting quarterback. But... There are some things you just didn't see at Ohio State. You didn't, I mean, he has a strong arm, but throwing the deep ball might have been an issue. And that, that's something that we see in quarterbacks at the next level. That's scary, right? Look at a guy like Derek Carr who has the arm strength and can, but struggles finding guys deep and things like that. And that showed up with Dwayne Haskins. And a lot of his production was product of the receivers that he had there. I mean, Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell are two guys that people are going to you know, say he's going to go in the top 100. Well, he threw the ball underneath to those two guys, and they went crazy, and they had a great running game. And, and the guy, all his mechanics and things, when pressure started to get in his face, it seemed like he crumbled a little bit. And, and those are all just things that scare me as, 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 you know, when I'm trying to evaluate my quarterback. So it's just a really tough thing to do, and people miss a lot. But I, I don't know. I'm kind of confused on Haskins. And to be this far along in the process and still be a little bit confused of who Haskins is as a player – it's just a bad thing, in my opinion, and I, I'm just not convinced, Q. I'm not convinced, and I, I could be totally wrong. I'm rooting for the guy, nothing against him, but I'm just I'm not there yet, and I, I don't know if I have – I personally don't have a first-round grade on the guy. I know he will go first, but I'm just – I don't know, man. He's a confusing player. You know, I found it kind of interesting that he, out of all the other quarterbacks, out of the top four quarterbacks, is the only one that's not going to be at the draft. You know what I mean? I, I, found, yeah. I found that kind of interesting. something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What are your thoughts on the other quarterbacks, the Drew Locks and the Daniel Joneses? Man, oh, man. I, if you were, I, I'm, not a, I'm not much of a Daniel Jones guy. Okay. Uh, I uh, never really have been. I, I, I'm, I struggle to see what people see in him. If you look back on the film or – or even him working out, or whatever you want to say, I, I struggle to see why people value him so highly. Drew Locke, I think he has traits to work with. He's got a cannon. He has that leadership mentality that you see. Like, I've got to meet and talk with, with Drew down at the Senior Bowl, and he's, he made a good impression on me. A guy that I really like that's not been talked about enough that I think is a legit option out there is Tyree Jackson out of <laughs> Buffalo. He's yes. a guy that I like for a long time. And the guy's got an absolute missile of an arm. I mean, an absolute cannon. He's big. He's physical. He can run. He proved that at the combine. Um, he kind of checks a lot of boxes that people like in quarterbacks. So I'm, I'm struggling to wonder why his name isn't being mentioned up there to the top. And similar to a Will Greer as well. Those are, those are quarterbacks that I personally have higher than I, I feel like most. And I think Tyree Jackson is a guy that, you know, maybe he is a, could be a backup for Derek Carr that they could steal in the second or third round or even later than that. 
I think Jackson is a very interesting name in this quarterback class. Now, I'm glad you said that because that's I've kind of been pounding the table for that guy just saying that I'm not sure where he goes. I'm honest. I don't know where he's going to go. I'm not sure what round you're going to take him in. And I don't know what he's going to do on the next level. But to me, he seems like a guy who's coachable, a guy that's willing to go in there and be a sponge and do what he's told to do. And I kind of saw that, got that impression from what he was doing at the Combine. And then Steve Smith goes over and talks to him. And he immediately changed his game. And Steve Smith is just a commentator. He ain't no coach. You know what mm. I mean? But he's, yeah. he immediately changed who he was and I'm really intrigued by him so I'm not wrong in thinking that he might be something no not at all and I think first and foremost I mean the arm is very real that dude has an absolutely electric arm I mean he can he sprayed it all over the field got to see him live at the senior bowl as well and and I mean this dude was I mean he could just let it rip and with the state of the NFL offense is what we know is throwing down field is very very important and Tyree Jackson checks that box and the size and the speed, everything you talked about at the combine. I mean, it really showed up. And I think this is a guy that's worked with uh, Jesse Palmer, who right now in the pre-draft process, and that's a guy that's worked with Josh Allen in the past and fixed a lot of mechanical issues and was able to get the ball out faster for those guys. And really he's, he's kind of the premier quarterback coach in the, in the pre-draft process. And, and Tyree Jackson has been working with him, I believe. And, uh, that's a really good thing to hear, and I, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what this guy turns out to be. All right, Raider Nation, that was just part one of my conversation with Tommy Call 3, writer and contributor from 95.7 The Game. He does a lot of things covering the draft. I mean, this guy has been to the Senior Bowl. He's been to the Combine. He's been to Pro Days. I mean, he's been doing everything. There's some things on that list that I'd love to go ahead and do, and at some point I will cross them off on my bucket list, but he got to do them this year, so what other guy, what better guy to go to and get information on some of these cats that are going to be in the draft and that the Raiders have an opportunity to, to grab. So that's why I had the conversation with him brought a lot of good heat a lot of good information you'll hear part two of that episode or that interview coming up next right here on the locked on raiders podcast you are locked on raiders your daily podcast on the oakland raiders part of the locked on podcast network your team Every day. Welcome back, Raider Nation. Segment number two of the Locked On Raiders podcast on this Friday, April 12, 2019. And let's just jump right back into it. Had a really good conversation with Tommy Call 3 from 95.7 The Game, talking all things NFL draft. And here is part two of my conversation with Tommy Call 3. Earlier, you mentioned Josh Jacobs, the running back, and I've suggested a few times on the podcast, uh, a few times on my radio show, said, you know what, if the Raiders were to go and pull Quentin Williams and then Cleveland Farrell and then du- and then tr- double down or triple down and get Josh Jacobs at number 27, I wouldn't be mad at that. I would think that that would be a, a win for the defense and a win for the offense as well with Josh Jacobs. What are your thoughts on him as, as the, the best running back in this draft? I don't know if I would consider him the best running okay. back. He, 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 does, he does a lot of different things. The biggest thing that steps out to me is, you know, this guy is – He's very shifty. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he has a little bit of different things, and he's a nasty blocker. I mean, he'll, he'll crack you and, and make you remember the name. I mean, he can, he can pass. He, you know, he can catch the ball in the backfield, too. And uh, he does a lot of things that, that are nice and show up. But, I mean, the workouts and whatnot have been problems, and that, that we, we didn't put up good numbers like we like to see. And I think that taking a guy like Jacobs early might be a little mistake, because not as a player, but I just think that there is – valuable options that could be had in the second or third round. Like, you know, my guy Travion Williams out of Texas A&M. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. you're a Texas guy. Yep. I'm sure you've seen Travion, and, and I, I love that kid. I think that that dude is amazing. I think he'd pair really well with a Jalen Richard or whoever the Raiders have in the backfield, and I, I think that this dude is kind of your modern NFL running back where he catches the ball out of the backfield, blocks very well, can run in the middle, but is also small in stature and will surprise people and has the speed and things like that. That is a guy that I would, 
if I'm a, if I'm running a team, I'm waiting until the fourth or fifth round where I can hopefully swoop up a guy like a Travion if he falls, or you know another running back, maybe a Miles Sanders out of Penn State. This running back class is is very very murky. What about Daryl Henderson? What are your thoughts on him? I've heard a lot of good things about him. Yeah, Daryl Henderson, I think is kind of that is that is that player that you know a lot of teams a lot of teams out there are interested in because he has the pro style, the patient runner. I think I've heard him being compared to you know Kareem Hunt, one of those kind of guys that runs off a of balance, you know, has a lot of balance in his game, runs off contact very well. But like I said, I mean, I think that you need to do a little bit of everything as a running back, or you need to have a specific skill set. These guys that do a little bit of everything well that aren't, you know, electric speed, can catch the ball really well, can block really well. You don't have a specific role. I don't think there's much room in the NFL for those type of running backs as there were a couple of years ago. You need to have a specific mm-hmm. weapon. And, and I think that there are some guys in this class that have that, where some guys are just all-around bell cow-style backs that'll come up in the league for a couple of years and then wash out a few years later. And uh, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's really tough to evaluate the running back position with what the NFL has turned into, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it does. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, to- talking right now to Tommy Call 3, writer and contributor at 95.7 The Game, also host of the Upside Pod. You can find Tommy on Twitter at Tommy underscore I-I-I. Who's your favorite wide receiver in this year's draft and why? Oh, man, now you're getting me worked up. <laughs> I love this wide receiver class. That's kind of the thing that I, I'm personally paid to do is write and w- watch these wide receivers. And I've been lucky enough to meet and talk with some of these guys. And, man, it's a tough question because I love some of these wide receivers in this class. I have right now Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State, okay. my number one wide receiver. I think that this dude is, you know, throw out the size. The size is great. But I think also – I mean, this guy can run down the field. He's a pretty creative route runner. People don't give him credit for his route running. I think he actually creates separation where other people are like, he doesn't run the best routes. The hands, the drops are an issue. But I think that this is kind of like your A.J. Green big slot, that thing that modern NFL is starting to trend towards. Or, and I think that Hakeem just does a lot of unique creative things where, yeah, maybe he could be a bust, but this could be an all-pro for years that teams have trouble matching up with. And beyond that, I mean, Debo Samuels, I just wrote about him, one of my favorite players in the draft. Got to meet him out at the Senior Bowl. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, you know, a local guy out of Stanford. I love this player. I mean, I absolutely, I, I think he's, people are really sleeping on J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And, and I think whatever team he turns out in is going to be a really, play, really big playmaker. But I, I just think that this wide receiver class is so deep that you're going to be able to find talented guys in almost every round six, round six and seven, there's going to be still receivers on the board that could make an impact, you know, their first year in the league. A guy that made a lot of noise at the combine. He looks like a, a rock star. He looks like he's the, the <laughs> guy. He looks like he's the dude. DK Metcalf. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Is it all looks or is, does he have some go to go with that show? No, I think, I think he does. I mean, I, I, I think that this guy's very, very for real. Um, absolute physical specimen, but people kind of really freaked out about the three cone time. Oh, you know, he, he doesn't move laterally. He doesn't, you know, break in and out. There's some problems there, but the guy like DK Metcalf, you're not going to ask him to do those things. He's not going to be your gadget wide receiver that you're going to ask to run a bunch of different routes. He's going to be a guy that's going to take the top off of defenses and going to, you're going to throw jump balls to him and he's going to win games for you. And I, I think that's why people love DK Metcalf so much. Obviously the body and the combine numbers are kind of the sexy thing, but I think that this is a guy, like I said, that has a role day one and you just 
you find this guy when he's on the football field. You don't, who cares? Don't ask him to run all these little routes underneath. That's not going to be what he's going to do for your football team. He's going to catch the ball down the field and scare other teams with that physique. Who would you rather have uh, from the same team, DK Metcalf or AJ Brown? Ooh, that's a good question, Q. That's a good one. I, I like AJ Brown a lot. I, I really do. I think he is kind of your every down wide receiver that that does a lot of bit of things. He he kind of reminds me of a, a Jarvis Landry, okay. if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. A, a guy that that you know might play underneath a lot, but is going to run you over, going to bulldog you a little bit. Just kind of be one of those gritty wide receivers. I love guys like that. They stand out to me. I, I want winners on my football team and, and guys that have that, that attitude and that fire to them. I think A.J. Brown has that. And he's a guy that I slept on to start the season watching Ole Miss because I love D.K. so much. And They even have DeMarcus Lodge there and a bunch of different weapons at Ole Miss. And A.J. Brown fell down the, the board for me, but he's been a guy as the pre-draft process has worked up and I've talked to people. I think he's a round one receiver for sure. And he could probably get drafted before D.K. How concerned are you with the lens frank surgery that Marquise Hollywood Brown had to have, and, and how is that going to affect his his draft stock this upcoming draft? Concern for sure. Uh, foot injuries are the worst, man. Right. We we hear it all, about it all the time. For almost you know even going to basketball to baseball, those those feet are issues. But luckily, the big thing with Hollywood is he's not a massive guy that's going to have to deal with those things. Apparently, his recovery has been going well and. I know, uh, you know, even Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, one of the most plugged-in guys, he said that he's a lock for the first round. And I kind of okay. believe him with that because of, you know, just the pure electric speed and, and the route running. It's all there. I mean, if, if, the, if the foot is okay, then I think he's a lock for the first round. And I know I'm saying that about a lot of wide receivers, but that's kind of the state of this wide receiver class where I think it's actually pretty darn good. And uh, that uh, might be a surprise to some people with just, the no being a number one wide receiver, if that makes sense. Like, there's not a number one guy, but there's a lot of really talented guys out there that teams are going to find. I think Hollywood might be really high on some teams' boards, and he could be the surprise of draft day where he could go anywhere from the, you know, pick 10 to pick 30, you know, in the second round or something like that. I, I, but I'm pretty enamored with Hollywood Brown being a Kyler Murray fan. I mean, you've got to see him a lot on tape, and the dude is dynamic. Yeah, you know, I think he could be a guy that could really take the top off of John Gruden's offense. You know, he could be that guy yeah. and then team up with his uh, his cousin, uh, Antonio Brown, obviously. But I just am concerned about the lens frank surgery. I'm concerned about playing at the Coliseum this year with the dirt. You know what I mean? And, and we've seen plenty yeah, of Raiders. You know what I mean? Plenty of Raiders over the years that have had those foot issues, going back to Darren McFadden and a bunch of other guys that have had it. I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's worth the risk for the Raiders. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you there, but I, I also think, uh, you know, Hollywood is a special talent. Okay. It, it, you know, if that has any, gives him any justice with, with where he needs to be drafted. But if you're, the cool part about this wide receiver class is if you're looking for a, uh, you know, a t- speed receiver that's going to take the top off your defense, you have guys like Nicole Hardman from Georgia who probably will go, you know, in the third round or maybe even farther farther than that. And you have an Andy Isabella out of UMass, a guy that I've written a lot about and been a big fan of. There is a lot of, you know, Paris Campbell, take the top off of defense type guys out there. And it's weird because the headline guys might be these big dudes like Hakeem Butler, DK Metcalf, Arcega White, that big physical wide receivers. But later in the draft, there's a ton of these speedsters out there that were really dynamic at the college level. And I think that that's kind of trending towards what the NFL wants to be. And there'll definitely be roles for these guys. 
at you know at the next level. Well, you know, I'm out here in Central Texas, and uh, the radio station, flagship station for Baylor uh, athletics, and, and uh, uh, damn, I just forgot his name now. Um, oh, Jalen Hurd. Well, yes, Jalen Hurd. Jeez, yeah, I, I my guy. That's your guy. Okay, good. I'm glad it's your uh, guy because I, like I forgot his name. But <laughs> yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on Jalen Hurd? Do you think he could be a guy that would be a Gruden grinder? That that's actually a good term for him. Uh, He's been a guy that's kind of popped up in a lot of my wide receiver, like names to know stories, because I think that this is a guy that, you know, it's crazy. Only one, one season as a wide receiver, you yep. know, just transferred from Tennessee. He was a running back there. I think he was a five-star recruit going to Tennessee. I mean, this is a big dude, mm-hmm. but he plays that big slot role, which the NFL loves these days. It loves these big receivers, these big uh, twitched up receivers facing, you know, slot corners or, or linebackers and things like that, making that mismatch. And I think, you know, defensive coordinators will have a lot of trouble trying to game plan for a guy like Jalen Hurd because he is so big and he's so physical. And only in one year as a wide receiver, I mean, this dude has been, you know, checked a lot of boxes when it became to route running, creating separation, you know, hands, the footwork, all those things have kind of checked out for him where, you know, some teams are going to probably sleep on him because of the experience. They're going to want to see him prove it for longer, things like that. But I, I bet you, you know, one of those creative offensive minds, I feel like is going to find this guy, Sean McVay or even a Bill Belichick or maybe a John Gruden. One of these guys is going to see this guy on tape and go, you know, this guy's going to win us, win us routes, win us plays and everything. And I, I, I really like Jalen Hurd. I was, I'm happy you asked me about him. When, what round do you think that he would go in? Man, it's, that's tough because I've seen projections all over the place of him. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went as high as, the second to third round. I mean, he could be a day two guy, but I, I think kind of his the last round he could go in is probably round five. But I, I would I would expect him to go anywhere from that that sweet spot of probably rounds three and four is probably where his sweet spot is. But. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he went as high as round two. Yeah, no, I, I can see that as well, especially with his versatility. And it's funny, I, I still, I'm telling you, after following him for a whole year at uh, at Baylor, I couldn't believe I forgot his name. But you know, that's just how it goes sometimes. Just got a couple, yes, got a couple more questions for you, real quick. Uh, what are your thoughts on Mississippi State safety Jonathan Abram? Man, you're you're kind of you're hitting all you're hitting all the boxes with some of my favorite guys out here. I mean, I love Jonathan Abram. I, I, I believe I actually have him mocked to the Raiders in my next mock draft that's coming out on 95-7 the game okay. uh, in the first round. I mean, I, I, because, I mean, this is a guy that's going to punch you in the mouth. I mean, and I mean that in every essence of, of the phrase. I mean, this dude is physical as they come and, uh, and mean. And I, I, I don't know, man, I love watching this guy play. I mean, he got flagged for, you know, multiple targeting penalties. I think he got tossed out of the game, which, you know, isn't a great thing. But at the same time, attitude and physicality i think that goes a long way you know with what football evaluators like i mean i heard a story about him get uh you know popping the helmet off of one of his teammates in practice and like the spring game because he was you know mad about them not being you know he wanted to sit, send a message and set a tone and having a guy that wild out there for your team and and it seems that he's hit a lot of character check check marks too it's not like this guy's a you know crazy or anything right. i i really like this guy and i think he's a player that the NFL might be really high on that the media or other other you know evaluators aren't that might slot him in the second or third round, but it would not surprise me at all if he went in the first round of the draft. You know, it's funny. I had a guy that called the uh, the podcast voicemail line and actually talked about him and said, man, just listening to him talk and just seeing what he does on film, he acts like and looks like and sounds like a Raider. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I, on my podcast, I think I talked about that last week because I've just been in I think I just I, I'm enamored with the dude. I think I mean he, he has coverage li, li, uh, you know limitations where mm-hmm. he's not going to be you know all up in your business. But 
I think the NFL needs those box safeties, right? I mean, that's what the that's what team, the Raiders have tried to do with you know drafting guys like Ob or or even Carl Joseph, where they want you to play downhill and and kind of knock some teeth out or guard tight ends and things. And I think Jonathan Abrams can do that for your team, where that hybrid linebacker safety role, I think he would fill that for the Raiders, which is something that they don't really have you know, on their team right now. A lot of people, when they talk about the cornerback position, they talk about Greedy Williams, they talk about Byron Murphy, and I really don't hear a lot of people talking about Lonnie Johnson Jr. from Kentucky. Uh, what, what are you thinking about him? Uh, where's, where, where's the guy like him? Where do you think he could slot in the draft? Everything I've heard about Lonnie is just that he's a guy that's going to rise, that, that, that might surprise a few people by going higher than, than some may think. He's been a guy that you turn on the tape and there's definitely lapses, you know, and whether that's focus or coverage skills where it, he doesn't have the best of the tape. I'm a little confusing with what people see out there about Lonnie Johnson Jr. But what I will say with that is that he checks all the boxes when it comes to, you know, tr- like Trace as a physicality where he's long and lanky and very, very fast and can keep up with speedy wide receivers or bigger wide receivers. I think he's definitely a second round guy right now, but I think I remember talking uh, or listening to Jim Nagy, who, who kind of recruited everybody for the senior bowl. He's, he's the director of it where he was kind of banging the table as this is a round one player. So that kind of perked my ears up and made me look back into him, but I just don't personally see it. I, I'm not in love. And you know, to be honest with you, Q, I think that this corner class as a whole is very, very scary. A lot of developmental guys, a lot of guys that need work. Yeah, a, a lot of guys that don't have a whole lot of experience, but they look like they have some upside to them, like a Byron Murphy. I feel like he's, I feel like he's probably one of the best ones. I know Greedy Williams gets, gets banged up quite a bit, but I, I think that Byron Murphy is one of the best defensive backs in this draft. No, I agree with you, and I think he's the perfect player to pair across from Gary on Conley, where Byron Murphy is kind of a, a zone guy that, that can do, you know, maybe play the slot corner position, but also play it outside. But I think that this, what is not being talked about enough with Byron Murphy is he's an absolute technician with footwork, where he can do, and we saw that how great that was for Denzel Ward last year, where he went as high as four. And, you know, he might not have been the most physical guy, might not have been the fastest dude in the world, uh, but also a technician when it comes to footwork and was able to turn his hips with fluidity, which are all things that you love in cornerbacks. And I mean, I think, I don't think Byron Murphy will be there when the Raiders are on the clock later in the sec- later in the first round. But if he is, I mean, I almost think that is a no brainer where Mike Mayock and John Gruden need to be running the card to draft Byron Murphy. I heard that. Sounds good to me. We've talked about a lot of players. We talked a lot about the draft, about different scenarios in the draft. Is there anyone that we haven't touched on that you really just kind of at the tip of your tongue, you're thinking that's a guy that you need to look out for yes there is and it, this is the player that i want the raiders to draft at number four overall because i personally think quinnon won't be there i think he'll probably go at number three okay to if that's the jets or whoever that may be and i don't think it's josh allen i think it's brian burns out of florida state i think that this dude my is one of the best players in the nfl draft i mean i think he does what the raiders want to do a absolute freak on the edge that is going to come downhill electric first step you know, has a pass rush repertoire where, I mean, I'm surprised that I see him going in the 20s or the 15s or or, or in that kind of round where I think this is a top five player. I don't know what I'm missing out on where I think that the gap between him and Bosa as edge rushers is a lot closer than some may think. And I absolutely love Brian Burns. I think he would be a great fit in Oakland for the Raiders. You pair him alongside Arden Key. And then if you want to get a guy like Cleveland Farrell later and you want to double dip on edge rushers and you have that mix of speed and power on your team I mean that that causes problems for offenses and I think Brian Burns man I, I think he is the guy at number four for the Raiders 
Great stuff right there. I know a lot of Raider fans will probably get a big smile on their face after hearing that. That's Tommy Call 3, writer and contributor at 95.7 The Game, also host of the Upside Pod. You can find Tommy on Twitter at Tommy underscore I-I-I. Anything that you got coming up that you can promote? I mean, I've, I've held you for so long. I mean, I want you to promote whatever you got coming up so people can be on the lookout for it. Man, I, I love this. You can keep me how long, however long you need, man. <laughs> I, I love talking a little draft with you, as always. And, you know, uh, just you can follow me on Twitter, like you said. Uh, we have an upside, uh, the Upside Pod, which is an, you know, a draft podcast. Where we're always talking about 49ers and Raiders draft stuff. And then I'll actually be hosting my own draft party during the first round. If you live up in the North Bay, it's going to be out in Santa Rosa, California, at, uh, at Steel and Hops Public House. It is a, you know, it's a bar. We're going to have a cool-down screen. I'm going to be doing my show live from out there. And it's going to be really fun, man. I can't wait. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I'm thinking that I'm going to be in Nashville for the draft. So if you need anybody live on the scene, if you ain't already got somebody booked in, uh, definitely hit me up. Holla at your boy. You know oh, I, mean? I will. I will. That, would be, that sounds like a great plan, man. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Hey, man, I appreciate you so much. Great stuff as always. Uh, keep doing your thing. I know you're on the grind. I check you out all the time on Twitter, and I, I see what you're doing. Uh, keep up the good work at the radio station and tell all the fellas uh, your boy Q said hello. I will, as always, Q. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Love doing this. I'm telling you right now, you could tell by that conversation, we could have gone on for another 30 minutes, another 40 minutes, another hour, hour and a half. It doesn't matter. We could have talked all night long, all things NFL draft, because there's so many different angles. So much stuff can happen in this draft, and that's why I'm so excited for it. April 25th, 2019. It's a Thursday. Nashville, Tennessee. Cannot wait. Cannot wait to be there, and I'll officially know. I believe I'm going to be there. I'll officially know if I'm going to be there or not probably by Monday or Tuesday at the latest. So you will get the official word. And if I'm in the building, Raider Nation, you better watch out. I'm telling right now, everybody better watch out. I'm coming for their neck. <laughs> no, I really am. I, I, I love being at the draft. It's so much fun. And the access that you get to these players before they're actually on the team is great. So I'm going to bring the heat for you as long as I'm there. And I'll know by Monday or Tuesday. So uh, that was good stuff with Tommy Call 3. Uh, he's going to hit me up during the draft while I'm in Nashville as long as I'm there. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's all love, man. Man, it's an all-love conversation, all-love community. Uh, he's a good dude, and, and uh, definitely follow him on Twitter, at TommyCall underscore I, I, I. Coming up in segment number three, Mike Mayock. He had a press conference with the media on Thursday talking all things NFL draft. And, well, that's coming up next in segment number three on the Locked On Raiders podcast. You are Locked On Raiders, your daily podcast on the Oakland Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. Raider Nation, what up? Segment number three of today's Locked On Raiders podcast. And Mike Mayock, brand new GM of the Raiders. He's been doing good things ever since he's been holding that title. Him and John Gruden have been working really, really well together. They went through free agency. I think this draft is going to be exciting. I think Mike Mayock's really going to be able to you know, show what he's worth. I mean, he's already been doing well, but I think he's going to really, really show what he's worth in, uh, in the draft coming up on April 25th. He held an interview with the media on Thursday right there in Alameda talking all things NFL draft. I'm not, I'm not going to play the whole thing back because it was like 20-something minutes, but all the good stuff, all the stuff that I thought was pretty important coming out of his media press conference, I'm going to play right now. So here it is, Mike Mayock. Thursday afternoon, talking all things NFL draft. I don't have much of a statement. I mean, basically, uh, we're in the middle of a grind. It's kind of cool. You know, the coaches, the scouts, we're all working uh, pretty much 24-7 on this draft. Uh, It's a great process. The scouts are in now. I'm working with the scouts on the draft, the coaches with Coach Gruden. I'm jumping between uh, rooms. Uh, It's it's really been awesome. Been a great process, especially with – what we've got with eight picks and four of the first 35. So having said that, what do you want, what do you want to talk about? 
Is there a way to prepare for, as a first-timer on this side of it, is, is there a way to prepare for the juice and the energy of the moment when the when the hourglass sand is ticking down and you, you're in that? Have you talked to people about that environment and how it changes things? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, what we're going to do is try to have our board completely stacked, uh, both by position and by number, uh, by the end of next week. And then the week of the draft, I think we're going to spend an awful lot of time in there uh, in, in our war room, our, our draft room, with the people that are going to be there and kind of going through every scenario we can. Uh, I'm going to have people calling in on the phones and trying to get John and I rattled and propose trades. And, you know, let's be honest, I haven't done it before. So, again, if I'm going to evaluate myself, uh, i got to make sure I'm prepared. Uh, you know, there's two minutes left on the clock and the phone, three phones are ringing and there's a trade. And, uh, you know, what, what is the process how, how are we going to react as a team? Where's everybody even sitting in the room? What's the feedback? How quickly am I going to get the information on the trades and the point values? And so there's a whole bunch of stuff, and I've kind of got it. I, I said to John, it's, it's kind of like it's game week, you know, and, and you know, we want to get in there and practice our game plan no different than the team would for a Sunday game. How do you prepare for something that you've ever experienced in terms of being in that war room and taking those calls? Like, who have you leaned on? And yeah, of- well, I think over the last, you know, 18 years or whatever, I've, I've got pretty good feedback for what happens, how it happens, the pressures, the time frames. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people in this building about how they've done it in the past. You know, where do you, where, where's everybody sitting? What's up on the boards? I've changed some things already with what's going to be up in the room and uh, some of the information available to us and how it's going to ha- how we're going to process that information. I think the important thing, Michael, is at the end of the day is just some of these practices, uh, putting some pressure on ourselves and, and, and hoping, just like a coach would, hoping that if we put enough pressure on ourselves Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday under a bunch of different kind of conversations and trades and that uh, when Thursday night comes and Friday, Saturday, we're more than prepared to deal with, with anything. Trade chart. Do you have one? Do you use one of the ones that are out there? Obviously, a few different ones that are out there. I've had trade charts forever. I mean, that was my job, you know, and teams would share their their trade charts with me. And to be honest, I think I saw Coach Belichick quoted the other day about them. Something they're all within points of being the same thing. So if you're on if you're on the clock and you got two minutes left and somebody's calling about a trade, unless it's for an existing NFL player. You know, you, you got to have a way to see what the benchmark is quickly. And I think all teams are using these uh, these trade charts that are very, very similar. Now, you got to use your gut a little bit, and there are different times where you, you might want to get more, and there are other times you might take less. But that's kind of the benchmark to start with. How different does your board look compared to for one team than it would have looked preparing it in your old job? Is it pretty similar to your evaluations? Or when you're evaluating for a specific team, is it change a lot. Yeah, it's a lot different. I I think my old job was to to try to be the GM for all 32 teams, and I had a board that was stacked for what I would call league value. Um, Now, wow, that was a lot of clicks just because I went like that. That was really weird. Um, So league value is one thing, you know, and what I used to do uh, in my old job was I'd talk to a bunch of GMs and head coaches the week before the draft. I'd send them my board because they'd want to see it. To them, it was league value, so it was a tool for the teams to use, and it was a way for me to talk about my board where it was it might have some weaknesses. Um, so now you're just doing it for one team. Now, I still have to be aware, and we're working really hard on understanding what the team needs are and the scenarios are around the league, and I think league value 
is a way to kind of understand um, where you where you might be able to move up or down in the draft. So so understanding league value is still a part of it, but understanding what what we want to do as Raiders is the biggest piece. How integral is it when you're trying to imagine scenarios that could arise on draft day? to know what the needs are of teams picking in front of you, teams that are picking yeah. behind you that can move up. Uh, just simulate, have an idea of what the motivations are for those other teams surrounding you. I think it's really important to, to understand what the other teams are doing and trying to do. Uh, we're spending a lot of time putting together some information on all other 31 teams, their decision makers, what their the decision makers' footprint looks like historically, um, what their needs are this year. Um, I think we've we've worked hard since I've been here at establish establishing establishing excuse me, um, or continuing continuing relationships with the GMs I've had around, just in a different fashion now. Instead of calling up and saying, "Hey." You know, what do you think about this? It's, it's more like opening, continuing to open up lines of communication for draft night. And I've had a lot of those calls and uh, taken a lot of calls, and, and it's really been fun. As you, as you talk to those other guys around the league, do you notice any, any of them ever kind of like slipping up and kind of forgetting your, your, your role now and it kind of going into that old No, I think they're all pattern. trying to get me to slip up and forget about it. But, but I've had a lot of texts and phone calls that have been very funny where guys were like, you know, it's – I miss just being able to talk a ball with you. And I'm like, yeah, same thing. You know, who are you going to take? And, and so it's been fun. Mike, you've been very busy through free agency this offseason. How well do you feel all of these acquisitions and moves have set you guys up for what you're trying to do in the draft? Yeah, I think we feel pretty good. I, uh, you know, we made some major acquisitions early. Um, and since then, I think we've been kind of connecting the dots the best we can with uh, available free agents, um, not just positions of need, but anywhere positions of need, depth, uh, whatever. I think we've done a pretty good job of signing uh, younger players uh, to, for for the most part to prove it contracts where it will help both them and us if they play well. Having four in the top 35 gives you a lot of freedom or ammunition or whatever term that you want to use for it. Um, Coming into a draft with that type of yep. capital early on, how does that maybe does it change or alter your thinking because you have the freedom and the and the capital to move up or down or do whatever you want? Really? As John keeps telling me, don't mess it up, dude. You know, I I took a lot of a lot of slings to get to get you three first round picks. Um, <laughs> but you know, we laugh about it all the time. But but I I don't you know. I, a, I don't feel any pressure about it. B, I love it and embrace it because it, it's going to give us an opportunity to continue to try to turn the corner here and become a good football team. And I think what it really gives us um, is flexibility, and that's what I love about it. Um, obviously, you know, we can move up, uh, and you got to know what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. Um, you can try to increase your draft capital by moving down, or you stay the same. And, and the four of the first 35 picks gives you an opportunity to consider all those scenarios multiple times. And again, that's why we're opening up the line of communications with all the teams around the league. Uh, you know, I, I think I keep telling our guys, and you guys have heard me say this before, you know, we need to be nimble. And, and nimble means, depending on what the situation is, to be able to rea- react quickly according to the situation and make the right decision. How fine is that line between drafting for need yeah. and drafting best available? Because with the you know with the four twelve record and yeah. as you said all the holes all over the roster, you got a lot of needs. You know, I'm I'm the son of a coach, and I know how coaches think, and coaches think need. 
okay, and, and we're coach-driven building. Our coaches are highly involved, and that's good. I embrace that. Um, the flip side is you can't reach. You got to use some common sense, you know, and, and that's what I preach upstairs is that if uh, we're in a situation where if two similarly rated players and one's a, a higher position of need, great, let's go get them. But if there's a, a discount, a disparity between the two, let's not reach for need because the more you do that, the more you dilute your roster. And, and that's a conversation we've had a lot. Do you find that players that reportedly are moving up and down as you – yeah. Is that media-driven or agent-driven BS, or is that kind of the truth? I mean, is your board pretty static, or do you have guys that have moved up and down a great deal? I, I think a lot of it is media-driven, and, and you're trying to stay true to what your grades were coming through the fall and into February when you stacked the board the first time. Uh, but I'm not going to lie to you. There, there are guys that ran faster. They ran slower. Um, we're finding more about them, medical or character. And it really, it's more tangible things that cause the guy to move up or down. Um, we get the medical rechecks back. I think uh, John and I, is it tonight? What's today? Wednesday or Thursday? Tonight we get the medical rechecks back. And, and that can move, cause guys to move up or down a little bit. The character stuff, we get more and more information on character with guys. That can, those are tangible things that can, that, that can change a football grade that have nothing to do with football, right? So they're real. It's the other stuff where I think people get carried away when a guy runs really, really fast at the combine. Did you see so-and-so ran 4-3-8? You, know, you just have to be careful. you got to go back to the film. Sitting there at Ford, to what extent do you sort of try to imagine the way, different ways that the first three picks uh, could go? And do you kind of have a, a plan well, there's, for the way that There's a go? finite amount at four, right? You know, and, uh, and that's what we have to be prepare, prepared for. Um, you know, regardless of the scenario, we have to be available, ready to pick at four and be excited about a player, right? Now we might move up, we might move back. Who knows? We won't know till draft night. But if we're, quote, stuck at four, we got to be ready to go. And that's a hell of a lot easier than worrying about all the permutations at 24 and 27 and 35. Since we last talked to you, you, you signed uh, Isaiah Crowell and Brandon Marshall. Mm -hmm. What do you like about those two guys? Well, I, I mean, at running back, uh, you know, we, we really are happy with uh, Jalen Richard third down change of pace. He and DeAndre Washington, we think, are as good a pair as any group in the league. Uh, but we've got a little bit of holes at, at that kind of lead back. And uh, Crowell's 26 years old. Um, he's a power runner. He's a big dude that can move piles. And he also has some breakaway capabilities. So uh, it's a one-year prove-it deal. Uh, we're hoping he comes in ready to go, uh, protect our quarterback. You play for John, you know, you, you got to pass protect. You know, so, so there's some different things that running backs have to be aware of here. Um, Brandon Marshall, uh, we think, brings a veteran, big physical presence to our linebacking core. Um, so between him and, and Vontez, we think we got bigger. Um, we got a little bit more mature. We've got guys that started a lot of games in this league, and hopefully that'll help us bring along some of the younger linebackers. John's shown a willingness uh, to take on players who have had locker room problems elsewhere. Maybe you too with the Antonio Brown signing a, a deal. But um, are there guys in this draft who you red flag to the extent that you simply wouldn't take them? Or is that a factor to be weighed in with everything else? Uh, I think there's a balance in every building. And, and in our building, I think John will roll the dice a little more, and I think I'm a little more conservative. 
And uh, I think that's a good balance. You know, we bounce that off ourselves all the time. Uh, we have some spirited meetings with uh, the coaching staff where they're banging the table for a kid. And I might say he's got way too many red flags. I don't even want to consider him at that spot. And, and then we get into it. So uh, I think that's healthy. And I think everybody that I've ever talked to that's sat in this chair uh, has talked about the same thing. Healthy discourse between the coaches, the scouts, and, and trying to come to those kinds of agreements on those kinds of players. The top 30 visits are a pretty valuable opportunity to get some quality face-to-face, mm-hmm. face-to-face time with some of these prospects. Yep. One of those you've evaluated here in Alameda, you know, at Oliver, you know, some, some guys. I thought they weren't public, Michael. How are you getting all this, man? <laughs> What's going on? What do you answer the question? What do you? What do you get out of those sorts of interactions with players who are projected to be pretty highly selected? It doesn't matter who the player is. In our thirty visits, we have uh, we have potential free agent guys, we have first round guys, we have middle round guys, we have a pretty good bl- blend and balance on purpose. Uh, but what we get out of all of them um, is we get them in early uh, in the morning to the extent any of them hasn't been tested for anything that we're allowed to test. You know, they have, didn't go to the combine, measurements, whatever. We get that done. Um, but the biggest piece of it is a huge crunch of time with the coaching staff, five, six, seven straight hours. And we want to find out which guys love it. It's, it's easy to love it sitting in front of John Gruden for 10 minutes at 7 a.m. John's going to fire you up, and, and, and then John's going to hand you off to the offensive coordinator and then the position coach, and, and then you're going to watch film, and then we're going to come back you know, for two hours or three hours we're going to watch film. Then we're going to need to have a quick bite to lunch, for lunch and then put you on the whiteboard and find out what you learned or didn't learn. So after six or seven hours of nothing but football, tape, whiteboard, do you still love it as much as you did when John was telling you you were going to be an all-pro at 7 a.m.? You know, that, that's kind of the cool stuff is, is that you get to see it's hard to fake it for seven hours for 15 minutes at the combine you know that's a different conversation but for seven hours with these coaches grinding you know putting all new terminology and names and things up on the board asking you to regurgitate it back can you retain it after lunchtime which terminology are you using your college or the raiders you know which guys are in there at the end of you know seven hours going this is awesome give me more you know and there are other guys just like man when's my flight leave you know so it's kind of cool you know, the 24, 27, 30, you have those two yes. picks that yes. close together. How much of a factor is the depth of the position when you're going? You know, if you, you know, a couple positions you're interested in, you yeah. know, one that's got a lot yeah. of guys available. How, sure. how are you balancing that with maybe the top player on your board versus. Yeah, I think you have to know all that. You have to know historically, uh, for instance, how many uh, pick a position, I don't, running backs. How many running backs typically go in the first three rounds? How deep's that running board draft now compared to. So is it going to be seven or eight running backs go or four or five? Right, and if you need a running back, and you're at 35, and then 106 with no third round pick, who might be there at 35 that won't be there at 106? And are you comfortable with that position versus a guard, a running back, a wide out, a tight end? So all that comes into the conversation at 24, 27, and 35 is the depth of the individual positions. You guys have a lot of been made of your four picks in the top 35, and that's fantastic. No other team has that sort of capital at the top of the draft. You also have zero picks from 36 to, I think, 105. Mm-hmm. Does that sit well with you? Or if you have an opportunity to move back and maybe add a pick in that range, yeah. is that something that you guys will actively look to do? Sure. I, I mean, 
like I said earlier, we'd move up, we'd move back. Personally, you heard me just say how much I love 20 to 60. I'd love to get a couple more picks in there. Um, I just think we've got a, a, a lot of holes that need to be filled, and I think that's a really good place to go fishing. And uh, if we can, we can. But the other cool thing is if we just do nothing but sit there and go 4, 24, 27, 32, you know, what we keep talking about upstairs is we better get four foundation football players. And we, we define foundation as talent and football character. That's what we want. We want guys that love the game. And if we don't move up, down, or anywhere, man, we better get four of those guys. Throughout free agency, you guys have addressed a lot of needs where you could go into the season. If you don't get a linebacker, you'll be fine or what have you. Um, I say that given the look of your depth chart at edge rusher and defensive end right now, it's there just aren't a lot of bodies there. Are you at all concerned that other teams read that depth chart just like we do and think, oh, we, we could jump in front of them to get the edge rusher that we want. Do you think that that is an issue for you guys heading into this draft, knowing that, that edge rusher is such a... You don't think we look at the, the media reports from the, the home media of all 31 teams? <clears throat> Just like they do with, with you guys, right? I mean, you guys know our roster better than anybody in the country. So uh, people are looking at what we need just like we're looking at what they need. And we're doing the same thing. You know, who might need this position? Who might jump ahead of us? Where do we need to go to go get that guy? Because Team X needs a whatever position. So that's all part, I think, of the intrigue, the, the, the game of poker that, that this is. Why go in depth for on-site visits with Murray and Haskins if you've got your quarterback? Hey. I'm going to tell you the same thing, Jerry, I told you at the Combine and, and that I believe in. And, and I've said before, David Carr, <laughs> Terry Carr is a franchise quarterback, and we believe that, okay? Um, beyond that, just like in any other position, we're going to do our due diligence. And uh, if we found somebody we liked better or thought had bigger upside, then you've, it's, you've got to do the right thing for the organization. Okay, but we love Dirk. We love what he brings to the table. Uh, but like every other position, we're, we're going to do all of our due diligence. And I happen to work with a, uh, a head coach that absolutely loves that position. And we're all, always going to know about those guys. All right, there it was, Raider Nation. There it was, Mike Mayock. All things NFL draft, all things Raiders. Uh, he's getting excited. He's getting that board ready, talking about different things that they're going to do. Going to, you know, work on on the draft, kind of put people on the clock, you know, kind of have like practice runs. You know, I mean, I, hey, I'm not mad. Whatever it takes to get this right, because they have to get this draft right. So he sounds confident. I know John Gruden's always confident. I'm excited about what I'm hearing. I'm excited for the draft. I can't wait to see what they do. If they draft this guy, draft this guy, you know, trade back, trade up. I don't know what they're going to do, but I just know it's going to be a lot of excitement and having four picks out of the first 35 is pretty, pretty massive, especially when you only have eight. So half your picks are going to be really early in the draft. We'll see what they do, but I'm, I'm so excited. And all these podcasts coming up from now all the way, actually all this week, but going all the way up to the draft are going to be all draft related. So uh, I'll have a lot of calls coming up on Monday's episode because I didn't get to any today. And I do have a lot of calls off that Locked On Raider podcast voicemail line. So don't worry, your calls will be heard, but they won't be heard till Monday. So I uh, hope you enjoyed all week long. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. I will get with you on Monday. Until then, Raider Nation, as always, just win, baby.